I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and i am powering through the crud because in oregon right now it somehow has gotten down to in the 50s and is having torrential downpours and is making everybody sick so it is wonderful we have no summer it's sort of like game of thrones where winter is coming and is never leaving uh speaking of so without further ado let me introduce my crew um with me as always is the lovely and talented rachel moore good evening and also with me tonight is the lovely and talented ren wellux good evening I'm yes rachel <laughs> And so what we're going to be talking about tonight is, um, if you saw uh, the posts on Facebook and also on Twitter, uh, we are going to be discussing the amazing and talented Sir Ridley Scott on tonight's show. Um, We will actually be having special guest Nathan Hanneman on board as well to talk about uh, the Alien franchise and and what we're doing at Harhound Weekend. Um, That is a big deal if you're a fan of Aliens. Um, you'll want to hear about this as well. But also the current issue of Horror Hound Magazine that's on Sands right now, it has a massive retrospective, the biggest one you'll ever see in print for the Alien franchise. Everything's in there, including every single freaking toy ever made, I believe, is in that magazine. So be sure to pick that up. But um, without further ado, let's get to the Weekend Geek um, because we have to talk about the finale of Game of Thrones. I was not pleased, and I know Rachel was saying she's had uh, some qualms with it as well. Oh, but, uh, yeah. I wasn't sure <laughs> that was my cue or not. I was, <laughs> Go, Rachel. <laughs> well, I, I think, it, again, and this seems to be a reoccurring problem with this show, is pacing. Um, the pacing was rough, especially who they decided to focus on. Um, a lot of the fans were expecting them to you know, wrap up the second book. And spend some more time with uh, Daenerys, a little more time with Jon Snow, and Tyrion, which are, of course, the fan faves. And um, instead, they kind of forged ahead a little further with Brienne and Jamie. They they dabbled over here with uh, the whole um, love story that's happening that wasn't in the book. And, I, you know, they had to tie up what was going on with Sansa quite a bit. So um, it jumped around too much. And for something that jumped around too much, it was kind of interminable. It, it felt really bored, boring. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't pleased at all with it. I, I think they could have done a lot more. I was really into the whole thing with Daenerys. And once again, this is a good combo because I haven't read, I'm still plowing through the second book and I have not gotten anywhere near finished with it. But Rachel has read the book, so you're hearing this from someone who hasn't and who has read them. And I wasn't pleased with how this one went at all. It, you know, I, I was really interested in the Daenerys stuff, um, but they gave a whopping, what, not even 10 minutes to her. Um, Tyrion got even less, which really pissed me off. Um, that didn't piss me off quite as much just because at that, there's nothing much for him to do until next season as far as this point in the story. But, I mean, we always like to see more of him, so... Well, yeah, he, he keeps... He's sort of the focus, really, to me, of the books. I mean, he really does make... Even in the first book well, and, in, and in the second one, you're, he's becoming this quintessential center of the, the show. There's less and less of that as it goes by, though, and I think that they've realized that for the purpose of the TV show. He's who everybody's favorite character 
you know, um, other than the character, I can never remember how to say his name, um, Jackal, who, uh, who had a, they, the Jackin moment was awesome. Oh, uh, that was the bet. One of the, my favorite parts was Arya and, and him. He, that was amazing. And when they did that turn, I was like, holy crap. <laughs> oh, where'd my pretty guy go? What the heck? How'd he do that? You know, it was like that dark man moment. You're like, oh, it's Bruce Campbell. Oh my God. <laughs> but it, it was I really was disappointed with just the, like you said, the pacing was off. It felt really weird. I could give a damn about Jon Snow at this point. And um, the whole thing with uh, the King of the North getting married, I could care because they're so disinteresting to me. Those are the most bland characters. They they basically fleshed out that character as fan service because the writers said that they thought that girls everywhere would be upset because in the books, he doesn't, like, you don't see this love story. He shows up and he's married and everyone's like, well, crap, you're betrothed to someone else, so how is that going to work? So um, it, should be, it should be really interesting to see what they, why they, you know how that actually pans out because I don't think that as many girls are into that character as they think are. No, we all like Tyrion. Well, or Jon <laughs> Snow. I mean, Jon Snow's a beautiful, beautiful man and they gave such a short amount of time to him. It made him look like he was confused about what was happening between him and Quar and Halfhand and that he didn't really get what was supposed to happen or the um, implications of it. It kind of happened to him instead of him making some very intense choices. So, kind of nerfed his character and then Daenerys they change everything everything and so fans are kind of like well that could be cool depending on what they do with it but you did it in 10 minutes so now right it just it it really felt weird and then I of course they had to go out with hey by the way you forgot this storyline is actually happening and (laughs) oh here's the zombies Oh, and right. we'll have zombie horse, and you know uh, it should have been a two-hour ending. Is really it, it, it really I, should I have have a problem with them um, touching on everyone because I understand they're t- they're tying it up for the season, but give us a two-hour ending, and you know, yeah, instead of spending time on crap that we don't care about, well, which and that's they the really did. Like, problem with the books is at some point you're in the books and you're like skipping whole chapters because you're like oh it's Sansa who cares flip 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 (laughs) all right here we go (laughs) oh look it says Tyrion oh look it says Jamie okay we'll read here I did like the whole Jamie and Brienne thing though that was great and he was like whoa big woman (laughs) big woman make me happy you know it's like (laughs) Well, I have, a, I have a kind of random week and geek thing, but because, you know, I'm a big meme head, as you can probably tell from what I pin on Pinterest. Um, the, Trollolo, lo, the Trollolo guy passed away, Edward Keel, who um, was able to, before he passed away, find out that he was an internet sensation and embrace it. And he kept on um, uh, performing. He was 77. Oh my gosh! Wow. So I was—he's not uh, just—he wasn't just an internet sensation. I'm pretty sure he was a nightclub sensation too. The yeah, cowfish here in town, like every week, Sean would throw that in, and it would be great. It's fantastic to dance to Trollo, though. Well, he—he uh, he was a—he was a famous crooner in uh, in Russia. Mm-hmm. Actually, was it? I think I want to say it was Russia. I think it was still the yeah. Soviet Union when he was really popular but i mean he could still sing that guy still had a voice so it was just kind of sad but um but yeah he passed away he had a stroke that's too bad that is too bad we still have trollolo we do do. we'll always have well and that kind of uh, i was going to say that kind of reminds me of this great doc documentary that's on netflix right now uh instant view called winnebago man and if you've never seen the angry Winnebago man video that kind of made the rounds and was like shown at film festivals and things, this guy was like the quintessential, I'm having the day from hell and I'm going to cuss and take it out on the film crew for the ad that I'm filming for my company. <laughs> and he hunts he, the guy down. I just watched that because uh, it was it amazing. Was it was recommended to me because I really liked the movie Shut Up Little Man, which is also on... Um, on Netflix, and it's another kind of documentary about found footage where they go back and see, hunt down the guys that 
because uh, Shut Up Little Man was actually recorded through a neighbor's window, and the neighbors knew it because they were sticking this boom mic through their window to capture their fight. <laughs> and so if you like Winnebago Man, you should watch that and vice versa. Yeah, because it's always good to remember and realize that these people that you laugh at on some of these videos that they don't know half the time that they're going to, they're being viewed by millions of viewers out there. Um, they're real people. You know, <laughs> you know they, they're real people. And Winnebago Man kind of sells that home because the guy, I, it, it's really interesting. He didn't want to ever be a joke. And at first he thought he was going to end up being some kind of joke. And he didn't see what the true gift this thing was to people. It made them laugh. It took them and showed them maybe my day's not as bad as, as some people's. Um, and uh, they uh, they find him and, and he kind of gets reinvigorated. And you find out some, there's a couple of tragic things that happen in there to him. But it, in the end, it really is an, it is a great story and kind of uplifting in one way. So uh, check out Winnebago Man. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've been I've been plumbing the depths of Netflix, and um, just there's some really amazing documentaries. So if you have suggestions for us, you can leave them on our Fangirl um, Facebook page or on any of our individual Fangirl pages, and give us recommendations. We'll watch them. Yeah, and also uh, don't forget the website too. You can post on there. Um, you know, reply back to us. We'll uh, we we can. You know, we have email addresses as well. So, uh, Jessica at fangirlmag.com. If there's something you think we should know about, email me or the girls and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, and Ren, you have something to share with uh, Weekend oh, Geek. Oh, I just wanted to share how I've been spending my week because it's been very, very geeky. Only in that I'm, I'm listening to a book on tape that is being uploaded presently on YouTube. And I probably would never have picked this book up normally. It's not particularly my style. Um, except that it's read by Tom Hiddleston. Ooh. So, <laughs> so I You've been low-keyed. <laughs> <laughs> I have. It's really quite sad. In the last several weeks, I've seen like everything he's done on BBC, um, including the episodes of Wallander. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. So I, I am 100% low-keyed at the moment. And the story is actually, I'm, I'm getting rather engrossed. And it's a novel, I think it's newish, um, called The Red Necklace. And uh, it's, I guess, you, I guess you could say it was written for a younger audience. I'm not going to say it's a kid's book by any means. It's probably, you know, something that they, that they aim for teenagers. So there's not any kind of graphic anything, which is a shame. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's lovely. Uh, it's lovely, and and Tom Hiddleston's reading is fantastic, and it's just fantastic to hear his melodious voice. Um, and there's a, I think there's a grand total of like eight CDs worth, and the girl who's uploading it is up to CD number four, and she's doing a batch every week, I think. Her her, her YouTube name is too hard to, it's something in Japanese because she's an anime fan, I guess. But um, just search the red necklace Tom Hiddleston, and you'll find it. It's a great story that I am enjoying about the French Revolution. Um, well, taking place during the French Revolution, um, and if you are remotely in love, as you know, uh, as in love with Tom Hiddleston as I currently find myself, um, <laughs> you'll enjoy it too. Um, okay, you do know that he's my... he's playing mm. a vampire in a movie coming out soon. I know he totally said the V word, and I freaked out. I am so mm -hmm. excited. Mm -hmm. oh. mm. So I had to. I have to share this as well because um, it, this this was announced this week, and. Uh, they DC has uh, come into the gay ring with a gay Green Lantern. Gay oh, Green yeah. Lantern. Yes, the a gay Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. No, it's it's not Hal Jordan. No, it's his name is Alan mm. Scott, and yeah. he is in he is uh, in the Earth Two series. And so, uh, you know, we have North Star, I believe, um, if I'm saying that right. North Star yeah. is getting married in the Marvel Universe. So, of course, DC's like, no, we're going to take one of our prime characters and make him gay. Take that, Marvel. So, um, yes, the Green Lantern will be gay in the Earth 2 universe. And he's I, quite the hottie of a gay man, I have to say. I have to say, it's, it's really kind of odd because that's totally what it looks like. And I almost wonder if on the, I mean, that's what it looks like so much on the face of it. That I wonder if that might not actually be the case. Like, did DC really just say, what? Marvel did what? Let's do that too. 
I mean, like, that, that can't, there must have been some foreplanning, you know, and their announcement just came after Marvel's announcement, but unfortunately it just looks like they're playing copycat. It really does, and, and I, I'm just like, you know, guys, if, if that's the way the story's supposed to go, that's fine, but don't stunt sex-oriented people. I hope it's not either. And we'll see. We'll see which one has the better storyline. I mean, Marvel has made no... There's nothing hidden about the fact that Northstar's been gay for a very long time. True. There, that's he's Everyone's known this. So, it's not a big event. I mean, they're getting married, but everyone has known for a long time that he was gay. Yeah, so it's, it's not a big reveal of this. Yeah, like, this is like, everybody, it was so funny this weekend, my husband's like, but hey, do you know they made the Green Lantern gay? I'm like, Hal Jordan? What? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So then I was like, I have to find out what's going on here. Oh, okay. They're, they're putting it in the Earth 2 universe, so that's okay. But, you know, it, it's just weird to me that they're going to have to, they're battling it out with this. So, we'll see. Hopefully it's not stunt. I mean, DC's already been friendly to the gay and lesbian community with Batwoman. So, I, I love Batwoman. For sure. Speaking of stunts, have you heard about this movie, Imposter, that has um, hit um, Sundance as the 2C movie? I saw your I saw your YouTube up, upload on Facebook. It looks awesome. Yeah, I'm dying to see it. It's it's a um, part. Do- it's a documentary. It's a true story. It's also a reenactment film as well. They mix the two, and it's about a, a little boy who disappears, and then reemerges. And the family family's so glad to get him back, but he, they get him back from France and Spain. Um, or Spain. Yeah. But it's like and, years uh, later. It's like four-ish years later or something. It's, it's a long time later, and uh, supposedly he's gone through all this torture and everything. And then um, uh, it starts to come out he may not be who he says he is. And there are further twists and turns from there. Um, I don't want to get too spoilery because I felt like some of the reviews I've read have been a little spoilery even for me. But the trailer looks phenomenal. Um, it, it's kind of the the hit at, at a... Sundance that snuck up on everyone. So, trailer's up on my Facebook if you want to see it. It's really going to be good. Is it now? It's a true story, too, right? Yes. Yes. That's creepy. Oh, that's creepy. It it was originally, um, it, 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 never mind. (laughs) I was going somewhere with with it and it didn't work. Well, and I I wanted to bring up, um, in the realm of video games, because E3 is going on right now. Um, but I, I've not gone to E3 yet, but I have heard uh, good things about it. Um, I still, I still prefer my uh, San Diego Comic Con only because it's kind of got sec- a section that would be considered an E3 area. So, but anyway, um, they have announced, and now I sort of these bastards, Sony. They know me too well. Um, they uh, are they have the PlayStation Vita, which is a new, you know, the the flatter, more streamlined, downloadable content um, version of the, it's, you know, uh, they are going to be having um, Assassin's Creed 3 Liberation, and it will have a female assassin as the main character. So how cool is that? I am excited. I am excited. Um... So I, uh, yeah, I'm all about, I love Assassin's Creed. I can't wait till October for the new one, which is set in uh, Revolutionary or like, you know, uh, America with Benjamin Franklin's a character and you've oh, got, cool. yeah, you've got yeah all kinds of cool stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm excited about this. Uh, I, I want to play it now. I've, I've got to, um, it's set, apparently the game is in set in New Orleans and, um, she is uh, a female assassin named Abilene, and uh, she is mentored by an escaped slave, and she uses machetes, pistols, and grenades, and she's also half French, half African-American. That's so very cool. I am. I think it's going to be badass. That's going to be very cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, trying to think. The other thing um, that you uh, will consider this a public service announcement is the CDC this week just wanted us to know that <laughs> zombies aren't real. <laughs> They're not real. Uh, Damn this, it. 
<laughs> I know, right? The stream of... Uh, so we shouldn't go, like, removing the head and destroying the brain? Well, depending really what on what... Uh, you know, I, I think that in some cases that is a requirement, but that's just me. Um, depending on what's going on. Uh, the With all the bath salts attacks, and now we've got some guy and uh, another guy... That's just over, weird. That, well, did the you way, know... Uh, the guy, the guy who got his face eaten off is, um, there's some people doing some fundraising for him because he's still yeah, alive he's up- and he's requiring a lot of medical attention. So something to keep in mind. Right. There's, um, you can look it up like Eva uh, and Longoria, I think is someone um, that's involved with this, but look it up. They are doing fundraising for this poor guy who I, I don't even want to know about the psychological scarring that he's going to have from that. Um, but there's been so many just bizarre things come to light over the last week with uh, some guy overseas ate his girlfriend's lips or something. And then oh, I didn't uh, hear about that one. Right. Yeah. That that was one that happened. And then the uh, the guy they found in I can't remember the state. It was here in, in the U.S. just a couple of days ago who had body parts he'd been eating. Um yep. And uh, so with all of this coming on, and especially with the bath salts attack, they, the CDC had a moment where it was kind of War of the Worlds where they needed to come in and just calm everyone with the fact that zombies aren't real and there is no epidemic going on. Even though I keep saying rage virus. Rage but. virus. I well, find yeah. that the sad thing I is, it happens a lot more than people think it does. It's just getting yeah. some media attention right now because well, it's been kind of yeah. Absurdly. And there's there's 400 million of us in this country alone. Everything happens more often than we all think it does. But the thing about the CDC saying there's no such thing as zombies is slightly humorous to me because I don't remember when I found it. It might have even been from UJ that the CDC actually did have an action plan. In the, adve- in the event of the zombie apocalypse. Right. Like, they don't call it the zombie apocalypse, but they have an action plan for a similar, nearly identical event. So, you know, you, it's one of the other guys. They do or they don't, you know. Well, they, they did that as uh, advertising. But, yeah, it, and I think that it's actually a very clever piece of marketing by the CDC that makes people aware of their website and that, hey, they put out these kind of things when there's an incident. And so I think that it's, it's both brilliant to put that out in the first place and also brilliant to say, oh, by the way, no zombie apocalypse is ha- happening. And I wonder, <laughs> you know, I bet they've gotten more hits on their website than they did got during the swine flu. I'm, you know, I'm sure. Everyone's linking to it. And- well, and speaking about zombies, I just have to um, repeat that, the Walking Dead massive um, episode blast is going to be happening next month. Um, AMC is going to have a massive marathon of every episode of the show. Nice. Um, and they're also going to be showing, unless you have had the special edition, I think it was on the Blu-ray, uh, uh, of the pilot in black and white. Ooh. Which which Frank Darabont is the master of this. He actually, when he released The Mist, did a black and white version that people consider even better than the regular one. Simply because it, it feels creepier and it, it has, harkens back to the classic, um, the classic uh, old school films uh, that, you know, like in the Universal's in the 50s did such as them and 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 everything so with that being said uh i think we're gonna go grab our guest for the night which is nathan hanneman it's so good
everybody so we are now at the discussion portion of the show and with us uh tonight is our special guest is nathan hanneman editor-in-chief of horror hound magazine hello 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 and uh so of course as we said uh our discussion topic tonight is sir ridley scott and his history of film because um tomorrow as this airs on thursday will be the premiere of prometheus which everybody and their brother I think is excited about. Um, but so Ridley Scott has, you know, he basically, I really believe was the shot in the arm that horror and science fiction needed back in the seventies with the, um, the quintessential horror sci-fi movie of all time alien. Uh, and then he followed that up with one of the most beautifully done science fiction films of pretty much of all time, Blade Runner, and then followed that up with my favorite fantasy film, probably of all time, Legend, which a lot of people always forget about that movie. And I know for a fact, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise wishes everyone had forgotten about that movie. <laughs> but he, it was back when he was pretty and we didn't know he was crazy yet. He, he, exactly. I don't think he was crazy yet at that point. But, he but the thing would forget because he didn't wear pants through the whole thing. But you know what? I was okay with that back then. I was okay. <laughs> also, yeah, Sarah, for those of us. It was the time when Tangerine Dream actually meant something. Yeah, you know, Tangerine Dream. I love that. Well, you know, the thing with Legend for me, and as I look at my giant 24-inch tall, massive talking statue of him, was, of course, Darkness, uh, played by Tim Curry, who people mm. were like, that's Frankenfurter? Yes, that was Frankenfurter. But the thing with Ridley Scott that I, I love about the man and his work is that basically he can tackle any genre and film and he makes it, he makes, typically there are great films that he does. They're, even the what they would consider a stinker of his is a good, beautiful film. And he can basically what, do any genre. What would they, what would they consider a stinker of, of Ridley Scott? Kingdom of Heaven. Um, <laughs> Black Lockdown. <laughs> even though it was, a, it was a hit on, as far as for the box office, it was... Robin banned. Hood? Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. <laughs> Robin, Robin Hood would be considered a stinker. And then definitely that 1492, um, the movie that he did with Gerard Depardieu is... is I actually really like that movie, though. But see, and that's the thing. The guy... You have to be ready to watch it because it is, it is not an action-packed flick. <laughs> right. And, well, and then also a lot of people would consider Hannibal a flop. And then, you know, there was one that he did with um, A Good Year with Russell Crowe. But, you know, my thing with Ridley Scott is he's... Anything that he, he tackles... They're still beautiful films. And I, I challenge anybody you know, to watch Black Hawk Down and not be you know, moved by that flick. Right. And even G.I. Jane was just, you know... It, <laughs> I, you know, you got to no, give I'm props laughing, to I'm that. laughing, but when you say G.I. Jane, there's about four images that come right to my head. I can't remember a thing about the movie, but there, there are four <laughs> images that come right to my head. And so he had to do something right in that it's stuck there, you know? Well, and then, movie. yeah, and, and, and the other part of this, too, is you, you list these off and you're like, that was really Scott? Yeah, and, I, and I actually, there were two that you listed. I was like, oh, yeah. And, Thel and the one that no one really realizes it was his, too, was Thelma and Louise. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing with Ridley is he's able to do basically anything and make it pretty. And when you think about it after you've heard that he did that film, you're like, oh, yeah. Because that, that cinematography and, and the way he uses the shots and the actor's He's able, he just knows how to film stuff and, and, and make it look great. 
So that's that's what I take from Ridley Scott. I mean, he he's given us some of the most beautiful works in cinema in the last what thirty years, Jesus, thirty or forty years, and. I just, you know, props to him. Even even Hannibal, a lot of people didn't like that film, but my God, it was gorgeous. And I really, I enjoyed it. And it had one of the most disturbing dinner scenes in the history of movies. It had its yeah. moments. It kind of descended into goofiness, but. Yeah, I, yeah I well, that whole book did, so. You can't I not have mention mem- I have fond memories of going to see Hannibal opening night in a sold-out theater. And, uh, oh, how'd actually, that go for you? It it was really good, but the I got so not, like sick to my stomach. Um, that movie it had some way of unnerving you to the point where the disembowelment scene or the or the brain scene just made you. Oh, I feel like I have to get up and leave. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you know, in retrospect, the scenes by themselves they're not that shocking, they're not that appalling, but. He set the tone. He he put you through the paces before he gave you those scenes, and it was like, oh, now I feel sick. Yeah. Well, and Gary Oldman in that too was just unnerving <laughs> as hell. He looked like an eel, and I love that they had that combination in that movie. So let's go round table here, and each of us is going to pick our. We'll talk about Prometheus here in just a moment, but I wanted to get from each of you your choice of favorite Ridley Scott film and the reason why. So Rachel, we'll start with you. Oh, I have to think about it for a moment. Okay, then, <laughs> then Nathan, let's hear yours. He did that movie Gladiator, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're just doing uh, ones he directed, right? Not ones. Yeah, that just he the ones he directed. Okay. Yeah. He did direct Gladiator. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I was just checking. Because <laughs> it, it changes, because there's like, it doubles when you go by production. Oh, yeah, yes, he's of produced. Tons of stuff too, but that, that would be. I it's the one film of his that I went back to multiple, multiple times. And uh, I love Alien, but you know, I grew up with Alien. It's more like a. Uh, it's 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 embedded in my brain. It's not really. I can't remember seeing Alien for the first time. I can't remember anything special about Alien except for the fact that it's always been there, but. You know, some of the later films, they, I remember where I was when I saw them and how they emotionally impacted me. Yeah, Gladiator was just absolutely beautiful. I loved how he went back to, it just had that Ben, you know, like Ben Hur and those kind of films, but it was, I don't know. It's amazing to me because I recently rewatched Gladiator and I still love watching it. I'm already bored of the 300, you know, which is supposed to be like all so beautiful and lots of half naked men similarly and um but you know gladiator has that epic cecil b demille feel to it that yeah get much anymore no it pretty much introduced us to so many great actors i mean they were around but you didn't really know what your uh joaquin phoenix too well you didn't really know you know some of the people in that film. And well, and and that's the final film that Oliver Reed did, and he went out like the man he was, you know, with that movie. But in in the movie and in real life, but that's the that's kind of like it, it's not even comparable in a lot of ways. But Dark Shadows gave us the last shot of Jonathan Frid on film, but this gave us Oliver Reed's final performance, and he was awesome in it. Mm-hmm. And you know. And thinking about his the casting of those films, I've chosen my favorite. <laughs> okay, well we're gonna we'll get back to you. Yeah. I'm gonna give Ren a, Ren her shot too. Ren, what's your favorite? Well, I you know mine was gonna be Gladiator as well. It's it's just like <laughs> Nate was saying. It stays in your head. It's so chillingly beautiful, and Joaquin is terrifying, absolutely terrifying when he's all over his sister and he's just creepy anyway no it's it's and the end makes me cry every time i still cry when he's walking through the field and his hands in the wheat and it's just staggeringly beautiful um you know i i want to say too real quick i i watch a lot of these films with my wife now who hadn't seen them originally and some sometimes i'll make her watch a movie like if i'll if i try to put in a movie like 300 that i liked in the theater I would feel really dumb about 20 minutes in. Like, you want to turn this off? Yeah, okay, let's turn it off. Hmm. But it, it, a film like Gladiator, you, you put that yeah, in, yeah. and we watched that not too long ago, and it was like, I felt really good 
about watching that again, and I didn't feel embarrassed about. There's some movies you go back to and you're like, "Oh man, I liked this at one point." And and <laughs> I, I, I'm going to describe that, and this is not a, meant to be a horrible dig against 300, but I would just say that there's a big difference between novelty and quality. And mm-hmm. for me, that would that be how you size up those two films. But I, next to that, though, I have to say a very, very close second is got to be Alien. And I, I had seen it ages and ages and ages ago, but I hadn't watched it in so long. I'd forgotten pretty much all of it. I think I might have even seen it on TV or something, and it was all chopped up. So last night I watched Alien and Aliens and half of Alien again, because it's so <laughs> good. <laughs> and... Watching that film and now talking about Gladiator brings to mind something that I love so much about Ridley, and it was such a clear contrast between Alien and Aliens, which I liked far less, but Ridley Scott has the ability to put something in his films that a lot of directors are scared of, which is stillness. The whole opening sequence of Alien, just looking around the ship and hearing the clicks and the dings and the tapping of the computer... You know, and just watching a helmet for a good five seconds, you know, and nothing's moving, nothing's stirring. It's, uh, it does something to you inside that stillness. And it's hard to achieve and make it captivating, but he captivates us in that way. And I give him super props for that. Yeah, it's, it still holds up. That's the, the crazy thing mm-hmm. about Alien. It's like over 30 years old and it still holds up. Absolutely. So, so Rachel... Well, I I think it's kind of a, it was hard for me to pick because there's a few that always come right to your mind when you say Ridley Scott, you think Blade Runner, Alien, Gladiator, you know, and then you think of all, there, there's been some clinkers because he takes risks, but um, the movie that I watch almost every time I'm sick and whenever I'm having a bad day, so I've seen it an obscene number of times, is White Squall. Oh, seriously? Uh, yeah. I love White Squall, and I, it, I I used to say it was a guilty pleasure just because people would be like, yeah, you like a movie full of shirtless guys, but it's really not about that. It's a great um, coming-of-age tale. It's a great love story, and um, it's engaging, and the pacing is great, and it's pretty, and Jeff Brid- and plus also Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Jeff Bridges always makes everything better. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with, like I said, and I can't help it, is legend. I... I absolutely love how beautiful he made this and the fact that uh, it, it really is, it, it has the fairy tale elements all throughout, but it's a dark fairy tale. Like, there's no, I can't think of one that can even compare and call itself a dark fairy tale. Uh, you know, a labyrinth, there's no sense of danger to that film. Other than, oh, God, David Bowie's going to poke my eye out. No, that's, <laughs> there's a sense of danger in Labyrinth. No, oh, Legend, <laughs> Legend though, has this, this gorgeous otherworldliness all throughout it. And you know, nine, I think 99.9% of it was filmed on sets, but there's such a beautiful landscape that he's created with this. It suits it. And um, Tim Curry just um, just quintessential the devil in that, in that, and the just all the the darker tones that he uses for the loss of innocence, and and the redemption of innocence and love, and I just absolutely adore that film and the music, even the Tangerine Dream, even the soundtrack with them. I loved it. It suits the movie. I also like the alternate version that he did. That's even more more darker because Gump wants to eat Jack in that one. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's my pick for sure. Uh, so all of this is leading up to what everybody and their brother is waiting for, at least in my circle of friends this week, which is Prometheus. And uh, Nate, we actually, in this new issue of Horror Hound that's out now in stores, we we did this massive retrospective um, the for Alien that uh, just rocks. And it almost I also, killed me. It almost <laughs> killed Nate to have to put together. <laughs> and uh, we also write about Prometheus. And the reason these two things go together, not only because of Sir Ridley, is the fact that even though they went back and forth in regards to is it or isn't it uh, a prequel, 
it is a prequel, and uh, they finally came out with the fact that it does tell you who that space jockey really is and where he came from in uh, in the first film, which is one of the most iconic images out of that movie, besides the alien itself. And uh, um, I'm very excited about this, not only because of you get more... Basically, what we found out, too, is that Ridley Scott's science fiction films tend to i think they're all part of one universe i think they're all set in the same reality and uh and I mean, they, so, all, they all have androids in them and they all have androids and that's one thing that he's really very good at and is he uses the android characters to be as a sort of a uh, cautionary tale in a lot mm-hmm. of ways because they tend to be more human than the humans in his movies i i do like i was reading an interview with michael fassbender and he said, he flat out said for, for reference to learn how an android is supposed to act in this movie, he was told to watch Blade Runner over and over and over again. Hmm. Which is funny because now he's announced he's doing a Blade Runner sequel. <laughs> and Harrison Ford's going to be in it. Do you know, th- this is a little off topic, but it's something that I really um, like, especially since he has gotten so much flack for re-releasing Blade Runner um, so many times, but is that he stands by Alien. He released a, he released the director's cut and made a point to say, this is just to include deleted scenes that fan wanted. It's done for marketing, but I stand by the theatrical cut of this movie. Well, I think problem- that says a lot for someone who's obviously very invested in making sure... Well, I think across. the problem with Blade Runner, wasn't it that, that the studio kept giving him a hard time yeah. about which version to release? And right. I still, with well, as many copies as he's got out, he still hasn't released as many copies as Lucas has of Star Wars. If, if I recall, and I, I can't remember it fully, but uh, I do re- remember there was a, a lot of controversy about the ending being redone with the voiceover. Um, right. Harrison Ford being brought Just, in to do all new voiceover. And then Harrison Ford feeling like an a-hole because he did it without Ridley Scott's approval or knowing, and he felt bad about it all these years. And it was horrible. Yeah. It was a horrible voiceover. Yeah, and, and that sure as heck isn't in the final cut that he did either. He cut that out. Yeah. I think but, I th- it, in his version, it's kind of pretty much a given that that well, this is still the debate. But I've pretty much you know talked with my husband about this as well. He you know. Harrison Ford is the the last replicant in that movie. That's he's a replicant, and that's that's, his, that's what I find so intriguing about him being in the sequel. Is all right. Well, that's you know that's according to one of the three cuts of the film, four cuts of the film. Let's see, you know, if he's going to be in the sequel. All right, what cut of the film is this? You know, reference is, is this sequelizing. Yeah, yeah, and. I, I'm curious to see how that goes. I think it's going to just be a, a a little flash scene. That's what I think. If he, because you know he can't age. That's the other thing. If he's a replicant, Decker can't age. Well, right? that's just that's just silly. You can't compare the Harrison Ford of the end of Harrison Ford of now. And there's no way, even with CGI, that they could make him look like that. And if they did, I would be very upset. So clearly, they have to do something <laughs> plot wise to well, explain that. Hopefully, and you didn't they, get any ideas watching Tron. <laughs> hey, now no. Dark Shadows did a good job with it with Alice Cooper. That's all I'm saying. They did a good job with that. Um, but I I don't know. It's I, I'm my biggest draw for Prometheus because and and uh, we'll cover the plot very quickly because it's still sort of up in the air. Even though, and this is my sore point, they did release it in the UK early and not here, and I'm angry. Because we don't get, we don't, well, the problem, here's my, my argument. We don't get any of the BBC shows the day they come out over there. So why do, are they getting our films over there before we are? You know, come on, come on, guys, share. We need to get an exchange program going here. Yeah, no Diplomatic, doubt. Uh, but the plot of Prometheus follows, uh, basically it's the search for where humanity came from. And the, these two researchers have discovered the same pictures in caves across the the world and they both are giving the same sort of message to them which is um and i actually did the air quotes with my fingers that is so sad (laughs) when i said that um that you know come and find us is what they determine it means 
And so they take uh, a crew with uh, David the Android and, and Charlize Theron's uh, character, who is part of the, I believe she's with the Whalen group. And they um, go to this planet on the, on, uh, on the flight and on the Prometheus ship. And they go and they discover that they shouldn't have done that, <laughs> basically. <laughs> And that, that it was all a trick. It Take backsies. Take backsies. It was all a trick. And they discover something that it in one of the in if you're like me and you take these high def trailers and you just go scene by scene like my <laughs> crazy brain does. I, you I saw s- your post. What what is that? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> What's this? What the hell are the tentacles from? But also in the re- stone relief ceiling of where they're at this this crazily huge structure that they go into you see an alien from the movie alien coming out of some creature so i don't know if um the big mystery is because we haven't seen this you know and i'm not spoiler territory here but are these like the <laughs> are are these creatures that they've you know it's obvious some sort of of um infectious creature or something because you see it it takes them over in the trailer but is this some form of the alien before it advances or what is this and um they that's the whole the, the whole of the film is this thing spreads through the from what i can gather is this thing spreads throughout the the crew and they have to stop them from returning to earth because it will wipe out the planet. And you see in a couple of the shots, the space jockey walking around and you actually see him setting down at the gun. And um, my thing is, and this is just me, you know, theorizing. I believe that that is David. And I think he's going to show... Um, you know, he's an android. He, he's, you know, you kind of got that from that creepy, creepy David commercial that they did oh. with Fassbender that he's able to do things that most humans would find disturbing. And I think this is his a, an opportunity to, to get, to give life to something because he can't give life because he's not alive, but this is something that is alive and so I don't know. I, it's kind of that. My love of this film is going to come from that story, which is what brought us here, what made humanity, and what you know creation in in its many forms. And I think that's going to talk. You know, David's character is going to talk about that and how they use him. So that's just me taking the deep dark. That's your, you know, the spakes, Sethustra. Yeah, yeah, the 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 deep dark path through through the plot of the film, um, but that was something that Scott and his partners were talking about. Was this is definitely uh, I want to talk about where we came from and that that whole mystery of how mankind came to be here. So I, I got a question for you though, because uh, and maybe this is a mistaken impression on my part, but I always got the sense that the the guy in the chair was like three times the size of a normal human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but that's the thing that this this sucker, it looks like causes some form of mutation. And uh, if in the trailer you see a lot of weirdness and uh-huh. I I like the tentacle thing. Where the hell is that coming from? So I don't know. Well, yeah. there, I, there I'm really was, there was a TV commercial on today that was a brand new commercial I hadn't seen and there's a lot more going on than just tentacles in some of the scenes and yeah. oh I'm sure it's going to be in fact there one of the scenes I saw was the uh, a space jockey like creature like on the ground and it's like okay I don't know what's going on here but they're starting to get really brave with what they're showing yeah I mean it's it's and and yet we still don't know what the hell is going on and that's how you do a trailer and that's how you do a trailer <laughs> we'd know if we lived in Europe <laughs> yeah, shut up, Nate. <laughs> I'm still not I, pleased about this. <laughs> I, I don't know, Jay. You, you're the type that will analyze every frame of the trailer, and I prefer to faithfully put it in in you know Ridley Scott's hand. And I will happily sit in the theater knowing nothing 
having seen a grand total of one trailer, ready to have my mind blown. Like, I don't want to analyze it before I sit down and, and I just... I don't have to like analyze the trailer. Slate. I have death to go through it frame by frame. And <laughs> I know, but, you know, that's... That's part of the thing that, like, Nate knows, because we've had many a, a phone call late at night where we're discussing this crap, is, <laughs> you know, we, uh, I like, I like guessing, because you know what happens sometimes? I doubt it's going to happen in this one, but my like husband... Guessing, you like knowing. I like knowing, too. So if the script up. existed, would you read it? Would you have read not it already? Not for Prometheus. Not for Prometheus. Really? Yeah, Maybe there's the certain pages. I, I would have read the first page. No, I, 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 the only films that I've ever done that to were Alice in Wonderland and which ones that were, were, you're not. Okay, okay, fine. I won't confess, but it's, (laughs) I, I, Prometheus is a movie that I don't want to know. I don't want to know about. I like the half the fun for me though with it is trying to figure out where they're going to go with it because it's such a, you know, it's such a uh, big topic. I mean, it's a big film, and it's uh, a lot of deep ideas in there. But like I was going to say, you know, talking about it, my husband and I made up a better film than what happened with um, Star (laughs) Star Trek Nemesis, I think was the one. And we, we actually made a better movie, even in the seats talking, trying to figure out where they were going with it, than what we got. But I don't think that's going to happen here. I think Ridley Scott is going to, you know, shatter our brains into a million little pieces with the IMAX. And I'm going to be, I'm okay with that. I'm ready. I am more than okay with that. But uh, Nate, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about, because we were talking about Alien and Aliens um, and his films. uh, Do you want to give a brief uh, recap of what's in the new issue of Horror Hound with that? Mm. Um. If you can believe it, I do not have a copy in front of me, so I can't cite specifics, but it's something 16 to 18 page retrospective on the film series, mm-hmm. uh, which we've never done anything that massive before on just one film or one film series. We've come close, but the, uh, yeah, we did our, our, our patented, patented retrospective. Uh, on the film, showing as much uh, memorabilia merchandise that we could fit into this issue. We actually had a little bit of flack because we didn't show everything, and I, I have to remind people that <clears throat> the magazine's only so big. Um, <laughs> but uh, cons- considering what we show, I've I've never seen a book or another publication feature anything close to the volume of stuff that w- that we presented and. I'm still rattled at how much stuff actually does exist for this film series. I can't believe how many damn toys they made. Yeah, you know, at one point in time, I, I, um, I considered collecting Alien, uh, and, I, and I started to, and I have quite a, a large amount of stuff, but yeah, you come to that point where you realize it's a, it's a losing battle. <laughs> it's, there's too much. <laughs> I only have one house. <laughs> when the Alien came out, the Kenner released uh, a giant 18, 20-inch, I forget how tall, uh, Alien figure and some, you know, dark gun toys. Um, uh, they they did a lot of kid tie-in stuff, but a lot of it got pulled from shelves because it was scaring kids or parents thought it was scaring kids. So mm-hmm. there, there was even a line of uh, three and three-quarter-inch action figures that got canceled because... Stores wouldn't carry it anymore, um, but then Aliens came out, and say, you know, the next thing you know, Kenner's got a full line. And one of the things I didn't know, and I, um, when doing the research, is that the the toys for Aliens, they had a very cartoonish look to them. The characters didn't look quite what they looked like in the movie. And I, I come to find out, there was supposed to be a uh, a tie-in animated series with the toy line. No way! Oh, that yeah. would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that was like one of the big things, and it was like, of course there was, of course. And the and the '80s R-rated films were getting animated tie-ins that none of them made sense. The Swamp Thing mm-hmm. had an animated tie-in, RoboCop had an animated tie-in. Is is like anything you know? Every movie possible had some sort of animated show after you know a year or two. Well, and I wanted. It, oh, go ahead. Well, I, go I'm ahead. just curious. Do you think it was designed? 
either A or B, do you think it was designed for kids that had seen it and wanted to see more, or designed for kids that wanted to see the R-rated film who weren't allowed, but they got the kid version in place? Had had to be a little from both. Hmm. <laughs> it just had you. You know, I I made a comment earlier about you know Alien. You would think would be my favorite Ridley Scott film, and it you know if I sat down and really did some research and internal um, thinking and, and, and perspective, it, it probably would be my favorite film. It, it would, but it, it's always been there. Like I said, it's just the, uh, just one of those things that was always there in my life. I don't remember when I first saw it. Um, but it could be one of those things where, you know, kids don't know what they know. They just happen to know it. Hmm. Well, and I I wanted to, uh, we're, we're getting ready to be uh, cut off on time here, and uh, we could do a whole other show about this guy's work, and even Aliens in, in particular, just about the fact of, of you know, Eileen Ripley being the first female action hero. Um, yeah, so props to Sigourney Weaver and Ridley Scott for giving that to us. Um, but I wanted, and, you know... I just wanted to uh, give Nate a chance to to tell about what we're doing in September with Horror Hound Weekend um, because it ties in heavily to what we're talking about. Yes. First first time ever, I believe. I know that many of them have done shows, but never to the uh, to a reunion, but we're doing a Aliens reunion um, with, I think it's it's up to nine cast members now. Yeah, it's almost every one of the Colonial Marines and Lance Hendrickson and Newt, Newt. and yeah, Newt. Newt, and so like basically everybody but Ripley and uh, Paul Reiser's jerk off character that I can never remember his name, but Michael Behan's going to be there. Yeah, Burke, Burke, and and of course no Bill Paxton because he's not got the time. He's um, got that. He's got that Hatfield McCoy money to spend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't so, know but, about the overacting on that. Never mind. I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the show's September seventh through ninth in Indianapolis. Yep. And we're doing Mask Fest there, and plus Linda Hamilton's going to be there. So it's also yeah, if um, you're an alien. If you're an aliens fan, you're probably a Terminator fan. We're doing a full Terminator reunion as well. Yeah, Edward Furlong, Linda Hamilton, Michael Biehn again. And uh, Jeanette Goldston, who was in Terminator 2, briefly. And Aliens. <laughs> and Aliens, of course. And then we're doing the Monster Squad. All the monsters. Yay. Well, except for, except for the creature. Yeah, except for the creature. But we've got the Wolfman and Duncan Regeres, who I'm excited <laughs> about. So to hell with you yeah. all, huh? <laughs> it, it, it's fun, too, because it's the first time the Wolfman or the Mummy have done a show. That's going to be great. And uh, we keep adding people, so keep checking the horrorhamweekend.com website because we keep adding more and more guests as we go along. And I know of a special one that I can't talk about that we haven't announced yet. <laughs> yes, we, we may have someone who's never done a show from a faraway land who I think would be very fun. Hey, uh, hey I do too. For a totally <laughs> other reason. <laughs> But we won't talk about that. <laughs> so anyway, I I think we're over time. But I wanted to thank Nate for coming on. And this is fun. We should do this again. Um, so I want to thank Nate for coming on. I want to thank Rachel and Ren for being on with me again. My co-padres, my, my sidekick roos. And uh, uh, thank you guys for joining us. And go see Prometheus tomorrow or tonight at the midnight as this is airing on Thursday. And we will see you next week. And uh, uh, thank you for listening. This has been Fangirl Radio. separated by centuries and yet this same pictogram was discovered in every one of them you're smiling i think they want us to come and find them we're all here because of a map you two kids found in a cave not a map an invitation from whom please tell me you can read that 
Where's that door open? 